Thank you for tuning in to Avant Life's weekly podcast. We hope this message inspires you, stirs your faith, and leaves you blessed. Man, Jesus loves teaching, and um, we get into the real nitty-gritty side of the Sermon on the Mount. Every time I look at what's next, I'm like, oh, Emma, do you want to preach? <laughs> oh, i got to worship lead. Oh, sure. Um, so last week we talked about hatred and murder, and Jesus, you know, really clearly begins to join the narrative between what happens in your heart is just as important to what is the motivation or your actions to come, should I say. And so he says if you've hated someone or you've, you've thought of hating someone in your heart, you've, you've committed the same thing as murder. Um, you've insulted them. And, and he be, you know, I know some of us are like, oh, okay, that's a nice teaching, but I didn't commit murder. I don't kill someone. Uh, I promise. Um, I know, because I've had those thoughts. I'm like, Jesus, I get what you're saying, but like, yo, I didn't kill anyone. Um, How would that feel? Like, if you ever killed a chicken before or an animal? Like, my dad one time, I love him to bits, but I would have only been the age of Levi. He brings these chickens home. We didn't own chickens to like, he just brought chickens home. And um, I knew we were in trouble because he brought them home. Like, my dad grew up, he was born in Malaysia, grew up in like rural Malaysia, like, like, Old school. Uh, he brings these chickens home, and um, I'm like, Dad, why, why do you have, like, so many chickens? And more importantly, why are they all in a bag? <laughs> like, don't we usually put living things in cages or something? <laughs> Dad's like, yeah, this is dinner. And I was like, oh. And he proceeds to show me how to slaughter the chicken, take all the feathers off, and prepare it for a meal. Uh, which was traumatizing, to tell you the truth. Like, that was the first time I experienced, you know, taking the life of something. And I was like, whoa, it didn't feel good, all that type of stuff. And we ate it, so I felt a little bit better. I only found out later that Dad got the chickens from the university and they'd been testing stuff on them. (laughs) I'm like, oh, wow. Imagine that. Imagine you become like Chicken Man, not Spider Man, Chicken Man, because your dad took chickens from the university that were testing hormones on. You get all the powers that a chicken have. Like, you look like he can fly, but you can't. Right? Anyway, we can go along. Today, we're talking about adultery. Jesus is going to teach us about adultery. And, um, you know, I want to preface this with, you know, with the hatred conversation. It's so applicable to all of us in the sense that, you know, We've had that feeling towards somebody, or we've 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 wished somebody away in a, a moment of anger, whatever it is, and we've committed what Jesus says is is murder in the heart. Uh, but rarely do we come into contact with somebody who's actually murdered someone, right? And so I know I told you last week you're going to come into contact with ten of them, but you won't know. But when we talk about adultery this morning, can I just remind everyone that uh, there's people out there, friends, family. Uh, that this is a very real thing that has taken place in their life uh, and God has been gracious. Um, but at the same time, it's, it's a little less or it's a little bit more applicable to the day-to-day in which what we're, we're talking about than murder is. Um, and that's not to downplay what Jesus was talking about, murder. That's just to remind everyone that there's a sensitivity around this that I want to respect. Um, and so I'm going to joke less this morning. I know you're all upset about that. Um, but I think that's the safest route. Uh, better safe than sorry. So you're like, well, you didn't say that with too single to mingle. 
<laughs> Pick and choose, right? <laughs> oh, that's too funny. Hey, when I was, uh, uh, well, we'd been six, seven, or maybe longer now, eight years ago, Emma and I were, um, we led a kids' ministry in our last church for two years. Um, and this is one of my favorite stories that I've ever experienced in my life. Um, we would put on like a, like a performance for the kids to teach them about different stories. Um, and this is one thing that was really like, like stuck out to me. And um, we, we, were, we were talking about King David. And uh, we're going through the story of King David. I don't know how we fitted it all into one day, but we, we did a lot in one day. Uh, we thought it would be good when we were talking about King David uh, fighting Goliath that, um, that we would teach the kids that he first fought like the lion and the bear and stuff like that. And so uh, we didn't tell any of the kids what we were going to do, but we're like, hey, we need a volunteer. Who wants to be King David? Sweet little African boy, Joshua, puts his hand up. He's so cute. Like he's the cutest little kid you'd ever see. And I'm like, yes, Joshua, you can be King David. And so this little kid walks up onto the stage. <laughs> and I'm like... You ready to be King David? He's like, I'm ready. I'm like, okay. You ready to do all the things that King David did? Oh, yeah, I'm ready, Pastor Ben. Okay, good. Without him knowing, we'd, we'd dressed Joel Thurkettle up in a lion costume. And the kids hadn't seen Joel at all. And I said, so, you, so they don't know Joel's hiding. Joshua's on stage now. He's King David. He's sitting on his little throne. <laughs> Like, I'm King David. And I said, you know what, Joshua? You know how King David earned the throne? Do you know how he understood how good God is in his life? He went through trials and testing. I know, I know. I was like, he fought a lion. And he's like, I'm like, are you ready to fight a lion? And he's like, what? <laughs> and like, he looks at me. And in that moment, Joel just comes like just pounding down in this lion suit. He's like, <laughs> Joshua jumps up. Like, boom, fists in the air. <laughs> I kid you not, this kid is like, Okay, I'm ready. But he's crying now. <laughs> Joshua is crying on stage in front of a hundred kids because he thinks he has to fight what he, what he sees as a lion. And it's traumatic, but he doesn't care. He's like, what I loved about that is that Joshua, though afraid, though crying in front of his friends, still took the position to fight, right? And still, was still ready to face. And this lion outfit was like old too. It looked like, it looked like Scar after Scar was eaten by the hyenas, right? Like, it was nasty. Anyway, Joshua, we felt so bad. Like, Joel, like, it's just me. It's just Joel. Oh, okay. Joshua sits down. And I kid you not, out of nowhere, this kid asks this question. Hey, I have a question. I'm like, what is it? The kid right down the back just says, what's adultery? <laughs> you know, I've got all these little kids. And it's like, what's adultery? And I was like, Wow. Um, uh, the team, you'd remember the guys that were there. It's like, felt like ages trying to figure out how to respond. I did what I think is one of the greatest pastoral responses of my life. I said, it is a tree. You put a doll in, go ask your parents. <laughs> that was my response. It's a doll tree. Go ask your parents. And you know what that is? That is passing, pass, you're passing the buck. That's what that is. That's saying that's your parents' problem. So you can call me Pastor Buck from now onwards if you want. But I wasn't going to tell 100 kids what it was to commit adultery. 
Picking up here, Matthew 5, 27 to 30, Jesus now continues the, uh, the teaching on adultery. He says this, Have you heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery? He's talking about the Ten Commandments here. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Verse 29, If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you not to lose one, sorry, for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now, um, Jesus here is citing and, and, he's, and he's speaking directly to the prohibition of adultery. Um, but he goes, he's, he's going further. He's, he's actually wanting to point out the significance of a lustful heart. He's wanting to point out the symptom or the cause of the symptom again, right? That's what he's constantly doing. Let's deal with your heart right now. Look, he, he, he understands that, that adultery in the Old Testament is talking about a, a man breaking his covenant with his wife by sleeping with someone outside of marriage. Um, and, he, and he's not trying to remove that the physical act is, has a, it has a condemnation to it. He's not trying to get rid of that. Uh, but just like murder, Jesus is concerned with the inner state that leads to that action. That's what he's really concerned about. And so he doesn't just prohibit the outward deed, he prohibits the inward cause. This is what he's, and he's, he does this a lot. So and the reason he does this is the heart is the center of the person's life. Like your heart denotes your thoughts, your emotions, your will. Jesus is saying that the person who lusts has committed adultery in the center of his being. Which if you then you know, look back at verse 8 of the same chapter, he says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. See, there is a motivation here in Jesus when he's talking about the heart condition, because if he can begin to teach us to have a pure heart, he's actually trying to transform us into a place where we better see him. Isn't that interesting? That he's not just trying to give you rules and regulations. He's trying to position you to better interact with him, better understand him, to inherit all the things that he wants you to inherit, which the Bible says are good, like godly good, not like Nando's good, like real good. He's wanting you to inherit. And so he's teaching, and I love this, Sermon of the Mount is a sermon from Jesus so that we could be closer to Jesus. It's almost... A, a, a letter of love of this is what we need to get done in your life so you can experience me to my fullest. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Jesus taking the, the act of adultery and making it a heart condition is an extraordinary extension of what they were taught originally before he came along. And so we're going to look at what this actually means to us. And believe it or not, this scripture verse is uh, unlike a lot of others that have been like, you know what, murder is murder. Don't get me wrong. But at the end of the day, those emotions, those feelings, the access to how you kill someone, like, sounds really bad, but you, you, if you're going to physically kill somebody, there's not much that has changed within a thousand years. Like, you, you know, Cain did it with Abel with a rock. Like, if you really want to do it, there's just, everything's around it. Get what I'm saying? With adultery, with this issue of a lustful heart, if you look... This is different because back then you didn't have the internet. Back then you didn't have magazines. You weren't bombarded visually. 
And so what's interesting about this particular teaching is that it's the one that's been tested more than anything else after Jesus' ascension into heaven. And we need to stop and look at this because at the end of the day, we're going to talk about adultery and we're going to talk about fornication. We're going to talk about breaking commitments and all that type of stuff. And we can, get, we can get really hung up on that or we can understand that Jesus is not just talking about things of his sexual behavior. Like you can look lustfully at something and it not necessarily be a woman. It could be the other way around. I get that. But what he's really seeing, is saying here is what you allow into your eyes, you allow into your heart. And this is the, the dynamic we're going to be talking about here. My, my first headline is, do you have an innie or an outie? This is on the chat line, you know, innie or outie. I was kidding. So whoever just did that, yeah, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. You don't tell people that stuff. You wait till summer when you've got a summer bod and you show everyone. So in the ancient world, generally speaking, it was held that a married man could have sexual adventures, I love this, as long as they did not involve a married woman. So when Jesus is teaching this, it's understood, the general understanding is you could have sex with a woman outside of your marriage as long as she wasn't married. Guess why? Because if she was married, you'd be disrespecting her husband. So that's not allowed. That was the mindset, right? And that's why there was a lot of these behaviors that are well, ungodly, but they were saying, well, to commit adultery, I actually have to sleep with a married woman. Uh, and a woman, however, was expected to have no such relations. She should be completely, uh, you know, prior to marriage, like abstain from sex. Once married and faithful, she must remain only faithful in that marriage. She couldn't have sexual relationships outside of that marriage no matter what. This is, what, this is what Jesus is dealing with in the mindset of the people in that era, at that time around him. And I find it interesting because he begins to discuss here the significance of your outer wall and your inner wall. You know, what's taking place on the inside and your outer wall. And he begins to, you know, and we know what he's saying here. So let's, I'm not going to get hung up too, too much on this point on the sense of like, we know what adultery is. We know that he says, if you look lustfully at something. Now, he's not talking about just on a mountaintop desiring. He means you have to actually have an interaction with what you're looking at, like in a lustful manner. We get all this. But then he goes on and he's, and he's talking to these guys who are like, well, they're really good at legalizing it, making it really legalistic. And going, well, you know what, you can do it in here, but you can't do it there. And this is that. And women never, women never. Like, this is a man's job to be, like, perverted. Like, they wouldn't see it like that. But when you read it from our context, you're like, that's, that's nasty hypocrisy. And so Jesus is like, I'm going to deal with this. I'm going to deal with this simple thought. And I put it, do you have an innie and outie? And, and at the end of the day, he's going to say something that is fundamentally going to change us forever and he says, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out. What a picturesque, like, repudiation of a body part. Just pop it out. Get rid of it. Get it done. This is interesting because what he's actually saying is, and this is what I want you to understand, is that there is nothing worth the compromise for evil. Now, he uses the eye on the right-hand side. That's For most people, if you didn't understand weaponry, the way you were trained, the way society worked, everything on the right was your predominant side. So he was saying, even if your strength 
Because he goes on to talk about the right hand as well. Even if your strength causes you evil, then don't respect your strength over your righteousness. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. Be the guy that doesn't have a right eye. You might be physically vulnerable for the rest of your life. Be the guy that doesn't have a right hand. You might be physically vulnerable for the rest of your life, but at least your heart is strong. This is what I'm saying is that if you see a city that has really powerful walls, really strong walls, is it the walls that made the city powerful or was the internal workings of the city that made the walls powerful? Do you get what I'm saying? No, I don't think you'll find any powerful city in the world that somehow in their weakness built the most powerful walls and then inside those powerful walls became internally powerful. That's not how it happened. They had a strength on the inside. They understood the resource. They understood the economy. They understood their surroundings. And they made it work from an internal strength that was then represented in an external wall. This is what I want you to understand. Are you protecting your outer wall at the compromise of your inner strength? Are you putting up a mask even though on the inside you have spiritual leprosy? Are you making people think that you are strong, steadfast and prosperous by what your walls look like, but if they manage to get past your walls, see that you but are decrepit and hypocritical? Jesus is so in tune with this. He says, you know what? Get rid of your walls if it's, ex- if it's costing your internal strength. Don't worry what people think of you. Don't wa- worry what people perceive of you if they don't think you're strong anymore, if they don't think you're as popular, as cool anymore. Remove even things that were meant to be of strength in your life if it is compromising your internal integrity. Are you living an any or an outy life? Think about that. Jesus is envisaging, such a hard word, the possibility that there is a valuable member, a valuable component of your life that may be in fact causing you to sin. Isn't that? Anyway, uh, the eye is is an interesting thing. Is that he picks the eye. He could have just picked the hand. He could have picked other parts of the body that were just as important. But he picks the eye because he's beginning to lead us into this understanding that what enters through the eye enters into the heart. And there's this battle going on. So we can't compromise. Walls should be strong, but they should never be the source of your strength. Number two, eyes and hearts. So I'm going to take a moment and perhaps before we go any further, just clarify. Number one, there's two points I want to talk about. There is not the slightest suggestion here that the natural sexual relations within a committed marriage are anything but God-given and beautiful. And uh, we may thank God that the book Song of Solomon is contained in the canon of Scripture, uh, for there is no, like, you know, Victorian prudery there, but rather this... (laughs) It's raunchy, hey? Yeah, I'm... I'm, I'm, You know, Song of Solomon makes the book R-rated. This uninhibited delight of lovers, of bride and bridegroom coming together. It's not teaching unlawful sexual interaction. It's talking about the beauty of sexual interaction within a committed marriage. 
And so what Jesus is teaching here refers to the unlawful sex outside of marriage, whether practiced by married or unmarried people. He's not even forbidding us uh, to look at a woman or to look at a man, but he's saying to look lustfully. We all know there's a difference between looking and lusting, right? And so we've got to understand here that God is not, and I say this because the church can sometimes be terrible with this. God's not afraid of sex. Sex is not a bad thing. He created it. It's a beautiful thing. His, his, his word, his scripture actually spends time speaking about it. So, you know, Solomon takes time to really to express the beauty of it. So God is not afraid of his own creation. He's not ashamed of that part of creation either. What he is, is protective of it. And what he is, is a God that understands he created it in a sacred manner. And Jesus comes along and he's not trying to say you shouldn't have sex. He's not trying to say you shouldn't have feelings towards someone. He's saying it's all got to be done within the right commitment and the right order so that it would bring glory to God. Number two, my other point is that uh, Jesus here is alluding to all forms of immorality. (laughs) And I said this before, he's not actually, though he's using adultery, he's alluding to all forms. And there's a reason for this, is that he's partnered, thou shalt not be covetous, with thou shalt not commit adultery. That's what he's actually done here, to say that, that you, if you've caught, you look lustfully in your heart, he's said that you've looked covetously in a, a, a sexual manner at someone. He's starting to partner all of a sudden uh, the, the Ten Commandments together. Uh, I'm reading this book on how to speak Spanish, and it's interesting because they give you different words, and then they say, now put the building blocks. You can form your own sentences. Sometimes we look at the Ten Commandments, right? When I get to form my own sentences, you can imagine the way my mind works. I'm like, forming sentences the Spanish are like, you shouldn't talk like that. But you look at the building blocks of the Ten Commandments. Do you ever like put them together or do you like compartmentalize them into 10 different places? Ever thought that Jesus, when he teaches, begins to string them together? He begins to say, hey, they're not as compartmentalized as you think because, you know, if you're covetous over uh, a, uh, another woman that you're, you know, you're not married to, then you're, you're actually you're hitting two things in, in one go now, uh, right? And then all of a sudden you start looking at it and you realize that you probably, you're probably never going to commit to the law. You're not going to get through that one unscathed. But he begins to teach the second point, which is like, hey, I'm alluding to all forms of immorality. To argue that the reference is only about a man lasting after a woman and not vice versa, or, or a married man and not unmarried man, like all of this is, is, is nonsense. He's actually beginning to pull it all together. He's beginning to go, you know what? It's not just about uh, uh, these legalistic things. It's not just about, hey, well, I did it specifically and this there and I didn't think about it here. No, he's saying, no, no, no. All of a sudden, married, unmarried, man, woman, adultery, fornication, covetousness, all of this stuff is but the reflection of your heart. So when we talk about eyes and hearts, we begin to see that Jesus here is beginning to relate between eyes and hearts and how that leads us into physical and practical ways to deal with it. So he says, get rid of your eye. Why? Because he wants to protect your heart. So there's a thing that we need to understand. There is your heart that commits adultery, but your heart can only commit adultery because your eye first committed adultery. That's what he's saying. 
that there's a, a direct correlation between eye adultery and heart adultery. What you look at controls your heart. He's, he's, he's not even like stumbling. He's not making it like all like a parable that you could get multiple things out of. He's straight up saying what you look at, what you allow to begin to fester in your desiring mind through the window of your eye will, like a wild beast rushing into a calm room, begin to destroy your heart. Essentially, he's saying the eyes of your heart are being stimulated by the eyes of your flesh. What stimulates your heart this morning? We talk about this a lot. And this is why, hey, you read your word every morning. You do devotions as much as you can. You spend time with God because what are you doing? You're investing into the eye of your heart. You're beginning to rewire yourself with the transformational power of Scripture. We look at Job 31, and this is really interesting. He says, righteous, sorry, it says this, I've made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I look upon a virgin? This is, this is Job, known as righteous, and he's, and he's talking about what he's learned. Then he speaks on, uh, about his heart. He says, if my heart has gone after my eyes, if my heart has been enticed to a woman, he would have talking about himself, he would have acknowledged that he had sinned and that he deserves the judgment of God. But we know that Job didn't do these things. Why? Because he understood to control his heart was because he had first learned to control his eyes. Ever looked at that scripture verse and we've read Job lots of times and gone to yourself, wow. Job is actually speaking about something that Jesus goes to teach about. He's saying, hey, I've, I've actually, I've got control of my eyes. Now, that's not just, you know, that's not just a sexual thing anymore. Like if you have control of your eyes, you stop playing the game of comparison, right? You stop buying things you don't need so that someone thinks that you're cool, right? You stop, you know, necessarily looking at yourself in an unhealthy manner in the mirror and pushing yourself too hard, not eating the right foods, you know, depriving yourself so that you could be skinnier, so that you could keep up with the skinniest person in the room. Now, don't get me wrong. That doesn't mean you go the other way. But you get what I'm saying? All of a sudden, he's, Job is saying, I've got control of my eyes. And because he's a dude, right, he's, like, he's giving an example that a lot of guys would understand, which is, I've got control over my eyes, and so I'm not going to commit the issue in the heart of adultery. I'm not going to lust after something. It's your eyes to your heart. It's your eyes to your heart. It's like when you're in the room with a politician and you're having a conversation with them. This is not all politicians, but a lot of them, more often than not, they don't keep eye contact with you. They're like looking at who else is in the room. Why are they doing that? Because you're looking at the person who's really giving you an insight to what their eye is looking for, which is giving you insight into their heart. Are they there really for you? Are they concerned about you? Or are they looking for the votes? You know what I'm talking about. You're talking about that guy or that girl, that friend in the room at a party who's come to say hello. And how are you doing? And then you like tell them how you're doing and they're like looking for the next person to go talk to, the next best option. Controlling your eyes is a powerful thing. I love it because at the end of the day, it's the hardest thing to control in the sense that you look at someone's eyes and most of us don't like eye contact these days. Biz. 
You're right, we have eye contact. Why don't we like eye contact? Because you'll hear more often than not, I feel like that person can really see me. They can see me for what? Like, as a pastor, people don't like looking for too long into my eyes because they think I've got this spiritual gift of knowing each and every one of their sins that they've committed. And thank God I don't because I'd vomit. <laughs> right? But there's always in all of us, we understand the power of the eye. Like when, when a child comes to lie, when Levi lies to us, I'm not looking at his feet. Oh, them some lying feet. Right? I'm not looking at his hands. What am I looking at? I'm looking at his eyes. And we say to him, we say to him all the time, Levi, look at me when, you talk, when I'm talking to you. Now tell me the truth. And what am I looking for? I'm looking for the truth, the expression of truth in his eyes. Our eyes are powerful things. I actually think they are one of the most spiritual organs God has given us, is our eyes. The ability to perceive in the physical, but also perceive in the spiritual, though most of us don't know we're even doing it. We we say, God, show me, show me. And we're looking for that ghost to turn up, right? But he's like, I did show you. You You weren't paying attention because the condition of your heart is wrong, so your eyes are looking for the wrong thing, right? But you need to first retrain your eyes, last point is I see fire. This is for Henry. Right? You love The Hobbit? (laughs) Better than Lord of the Rings? (laughs) Henry's one of those unique people that prefers The Hobbit, the movie, over Lord of the Rings. And um, we, we found out why. We'll talk about it later. Um, but I see fire. This is interesting because uh, he didn't say whoever shall desire. He says whoever looks with lust. Whoever looks with lust. See, it's not an intrusion anymore from something of nature, but it's now from self-indulgence. See, when we look at ancient scripture, it tells us these things early on. Proverbs 6.24 says, Do not lust in your heart, for her beauty or let her captivate you with her eyes. There's something powerful about the eye. And this is what Jesus is saying. And, and, and I, find, I find the concept so interesting is he's like, if you keep looking, it's like adding kindling to a fire. If you keep looking, What was once just a lustful heart becomes full adultery in the physical realm. No smoke without fire. That's what he's really saying. He's like, there's no smoke without fire. And so yes, looking is committing adultery, but at the end of the day, that's a a spiritual issue to think about it. And to lust after in your mind, in your heart, has spiritual consequences. It's sin. Jesus teaches us it's sin. But for that then to translate into the physical realms now introduces something that Jesus doesn't want us to go through as well, which is the earthly consequence of the outworking of a sinful heart. Because if I keep thinking about it, if I keep looking at it, if I keep feeding that unhealthy desire, and we've all been there, 
We've all had those fantasies and I'm not just talking about sexual ones. I mean like you, you, you want an outcome and you've, you've dreamt it. Like the amount of times I've seen broken hearts because people jumped too far ahead of I'm going to marry this person because I thought they looked cool and lovely and wonderful and they, they fit the perfect picture I wanted. They haven't even had a conversation with that person yet, but they've already planned their wedding. And I'm talking about dudes here because that's the world we live in now. Right? And they've let their, their mind go too far ahead. How many kids they're going to have, what jobs, all their wonderful times. They've even envisioned the walk up the hill. They look at the sunset that has nothing. Do you know what I mean? Like you, you, fan, you become like this fantasy becomes so real to you. And then when it doesn't happen, you're heartbroken, right? But then there's the other side where you think about something enough. You want it enough, you feed the flames enough and all of a sudden you're going to position yourself in a place to make it reality. And this is what Jesus is trying to circumvent so much. He's saying, hey, if it's in your mind, it's in your heart. If it's in your heart, it's sin. However, it's not worth the full-on compromise of the earthly consequences. You, if you're in a marriage right now and you commit an adultery, you know, physically cheat on your wife or your husband with someone else, then at the end of the day, there is an earthly consequence. And trust me, that pain will run deep. You have become of one nature to, to cause a fracture, to cause a tear, to cause a, a, a divergent in that is a pain that God's, God meant. Like it's painful beyond belief. Trust me. So before it even becomes a flame, God wants to deal with this kindling that you seem to be chopping up, getting ready. It's like, if you saw somebody at the firewood place, chopping wood at their house, right? And piling it up into little pots, like kindling. And you said to them, what are you doing? And they said, I just, just cutting wood. You're like, what's the wood for? Just wood. Just cutting wood for fun? Yeah. Just for fun. But you know why they're cutting wood. Why? You cut wood in preparation for a, a fire. You have lustful thoughts. You're allowed to look lustfully at something. You lose control of your eyes, control of your heart, and you begin. What are you doing? You're cutting wood to put in the fire that's going to burn down your life. That's what Jesus is saying here, is that it's sin. Let's deal with the sin. But let's also circumvent it, getting into the full-on flames, tearing your life from the inside out. And though we serve a God that can make beautiful things out of ashes, He's trying to stop, He's trying to stop that ash pit from happening. So when He says, Thou shalt not commit adultery, and when He says that when you've looked at it, and when you've cast your eyes upon it and when you've been lustful and when you've been you know, covetous and when you've allowed this to be in your heart, He's saying, let's start and let's stop it there. Let's deal with it there. Because if I can get you to understand that it's a sin there, then hopefully in your love for me, you're not gonna take it to the next painful level. And maybe I can save you from the hurts that, you, that, the, that the evilness of this world is gonna try to tell you is worth inheriting for no gain. We get all our interns and our lead team and our grit teams here to read this book called The Principle of the Path. It's a brilliant book. I think every Christian should read it. It's by Andy Stanley. It's a wonderful book. 
But he starts the book with this proverb and it describes King Solomon observing a particular moment. He looks out his window and he sees this kid. And from what we understand when we read the rest of the proverb, we're talking about like north of puberty, right? Back end of being a a teenager, essentially. He's a young adult. And I'm going to read it to you. But he gets caught up. And now when I read this, I want you to understand that we're not looking at the gender of these particular people in this. What we're looking at is the condition of the hearts. Because when I read this, would you read it with when it says adulterous? Know that that's any person that has left and is trying to bring any person away from what is good. It's not talking just about, we've got to keep away from females. It's not what he's saying. You ready? I'm going to read it to you. It's powerful stuff. This is from the wisest man outside of Jesus to ever live. It says, My son, keep my words and treasures up, up, uh, sorry, treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Beautiful, isn't it? Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Apple of your eye, tablet of your heart. Make your teachings, make his teachings, sorry, the apple of your eye. And if so, it can write on the tablet of your heart. Oh, it's beautiful. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And call insight your intimate friend to keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. Just remind you, think about the heart. For at the window of my house, I have looked out through my lattice and I've seen among the simple and I've perceived among the youths a young man lacking sense passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house. Now, this young man is lacking sense. How does he know? Because most young people lack sense. Why? They haven't done the time for wisdom. So it's, I don't think Solomon's just seeing this young guy and go, this guy extra special. No, he's just saying youth, youthful ignorance, right? Lacking sense. In the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. And behold, the woman meets him dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now on the street, now on the market, and at every corner she lies in wait. She seizes him and kisses him. And with, uh, with bold face, she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices and today I've paid my vows. So now I have come to you to meet you to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings, covered linens from Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, alloys, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love, for my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. And with smooth talk, she compels him. All at once, she follows her. As an ox goes to the slaughter, or a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver. As a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. Church, we're going to go back into worship. I know that you know that you know Jesus made this teaching really simple. To lust after it, to look at it, it's the same as committing the act of adultery in relation 
to the sin of your heart. Consequences are very different, by the way. But instead of just sitting here and going or standing here and going, oh man, we are terrible people or oh, I've got to make sure I can't do this. We, we don't live in a world where it's possible for us to achieve this without Jesus. We don't live in a world where it's possible for us to somehow become blinded to this without the Holy Spirit transforming our hearts so that we can see but not lust. Look and not glare. I read this proverb and all I can think of, is this not the war that plagues every young person today? Is not sex and the freedom of sex and the toxicity of what the world says sex is for on every street corner, calling young people, trying to teach them. And we live in a world that's trying to make it even younger and younger and younger, even to a point that they're not even old enough to understand what we're talking about, but, but the world would push it on them. Why? Because they understand, the enemy understands that if he can get them young, and I know a lot of us, when we were young, we were exposed to things like pornography or just the over-sexualization of marketing. And it's damaged us. And we've had to ask God to deal with that and work that through. But it's one of those things that I you know, constantly think to myself, man, at what point does the church actually, what do we do here? How do we fix this? I don't want my sons and my daughters to go through stuff like this. I don't want them to be taught prematurely about what sex is. I want that to be done through a godly manner. We live in a world where that concept of the harlot being on the corner, the adulteress being on the corner is there. It's on every website. It's on every Facebook page. It's on every bit of advertising, constantly bombarding, constantly leading young people to what? To their death. This morning, yes, let's ask the Holy Spirit if He needs to, to deal with those issues in our heart. But church, can we also do something? Can we take this opportunity through worship? I know we've gone a bit over. But take this opportunity in worship to begin to pray, especially for our young people, for our kids. You know, because if we know as their parents and as their grandparents and as their leaders and mentors that the things of this world, especially the concept of adultery and, and, and lustful thinking and lustful living is toxic, to our walk with God, but we don't take time to pray and protect. What are we? Who are we? And for the first time, this applies, why are we? Like, why are we here? Why are we doing what we do? And so as we go into worship, will we just begin to, one, Ask, and if you need to, ask God for forgiveness, for lustful living, if that's you. And you know who you are, and, and it's between you and God. But you need to get rid of that shackle because it is costing you more than you realize. And number two, as a church, as we repent of not being more proactive and standing in the gap for our young people, would we ask that He would begin to make ways would He protect our kids, our sons and daughters? Would He begin to expose the world for the evil and the toxicity it is when it comes to matters like this? Church, let's worship.
We hope you enjoyed this message. We would love you to subscribe to our weekly podcast. Other ways you can connect with Avant Life is through YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Or check out our website at avantlifechurch.com.